Hello everyone and welcome back to the 343 Football Podcast. As always, it's your host Jaffa and I've got with me Daud, Ali and Qudama. Is everyone alright? Hi. Hello. Hello guys. Alright, so lately we've been doing a bit of a trivia round to kick things off and last week I, I gave an incorrect answer to an actual correct answer because when I asked you guys who was the most successful Turkish team in terms of the most titles won, I said that the correct answer was Fenerbahce. Ali told me it was Galatasaray and... After some fact-checking, after the fact, it turns out that he was correct. So we'll have to award him a point. And he's he's finally on the board because he, he didn't win any About of the first time. couple. Uh, so well well done on that one, Ali. It's always nice when you see VAR doing its job. Do you know what I mean? Like, like correcting the mistakes. It only took a week, <laughs> but, you know. We'll, I mean, we'll it never it. does it retrospectively. It usually does it while you're <laughs> in the game. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, some of the decisions in matches do feel like they take longer than a week. So I'm just uh, being consistent with the theme. Uh, in terms of the theme of this week's podcast, though, we're going to do, try something different. The trivia round is still going to remain, and I think the trivia question is going to give everyone an idea of what sort of theme we're going for. So my question this week, and I feel like it's a difficult one to answer. Don't worry, I've got the correct answer in front of me, so I won't confuse the answer. But the question is, which year did Newcastle United last make it to a cup final? So what was the last year that Newcastle United made it to a cup final. It can be domestic, it can be European. 1999? Oh, domestic! Oh. He said domestic? Bang on. Oh, Pada- yeah. Pada- I said oh, it could be domestic or European. I said a European one. So the last final... It's oh. so, all right, don't worry about it. So the last final of any kind Newcastle made, Podema was correct and he gets the point. Was uh, that the Community FA Cup? I'm 2006 glad that... wasn't a final though, was it? The, in- the, in- the Intertoto Cup was not, a, yeah, was but... not really a... Yeah, yeah, that was just... It was the Intertoto Cup... It's uh, the way it works is the teams who qualified for the UEFA Cup through the intertoto sort of format. The last man standing, the last team standing, wins that cup. So it, it, yeah. it was. It, there's a really funny photo of Scott Parker holding the certificate for it. Was it the Community Shield FA Cup which Newcastle last got in the final for? Was it which one was it? It was the FA Cup. Yeah, it was the FA Cup. So yeah, I mean it, the reason I asked the Newcastle United question. Well, this this week what we're going to try and do, and we'll do more episodes for it as well. Uh, we're going to do a how to fix series in terms of uh, a club that have had a long-standing issue. You know, we're going to give our recommendations from all sorts of angles, from players, managers, owners, that kind of thing, and just sort of analyze what, why they've been so unsuccessful in recent years and and what sort of things they can do to address that. So, the the first avenue we're going to kind of kick into is we're going to talk a little bit about Newcastle's ownership issues. I mean, I'm not going to go too into it because I'm sure it's a very well-known thing, but you know, when you hear the two words, Mike Ashley. It's sort of synonymous with Newcastle, isn't it? You, you don't even need to explain what he's done anymore. I mean, I'll, I'll come to my fellow Newcastle fan on this one. In terms of Mike Ashley, it really is just about him needing to go, isn't it? Like, that's the only way the club can prosper. Yeah, I mean, some of us have only known Newcastle under Mike Ashley. And you always hear of the old heads talk about, you know, the glory days of, you know, the Keegan's entertainers and, uh, you know, watching Shearer week in, week out. When you talk about fixing a club, um, it's quite. It's like it's almost a an abstract question. Like how long is a piece of string? But no matter what your ambitions are for the club, whether it's you know if you if you think that Newcastle should be winning titles or qualifying for top four or qualifying for top six, the first step, you know, on the roadmap for any of those plans is to get rid of Mike Ashley. So you know, it'll be a happy day in the city of Newcastle upon Tyne once he's gone for sure. Absolutely. So, uh, I don't, like I said, I don't want to fix it too much on the owner because, you know, he's there for the moment. So there's a lot of factors around clubs that, you know, not 
Newcastle have had some decent seasons with Mike Ashley in charge as well. It's not always been like relegation battle after relegation battle. It is largely the theme. But there's sort of a proof in football that you can do other things correctly uh, to sort of not necessarily set yourself up for long-term success, but just not be in this sort of constant state of uh, depression of following your team as Newcastle fans seem to be. So the, the, the main culprit for me at the moment, and I don't know whether you guys will disagree with this, but let's talk about the manager, Steve Bruce. Because, Dawood, I'll ask you this question. In, in my opinion, Steve Bruce isn't even good enough for any Premier League job, never mind uh, Newcastle United. Do you think that as well? Do you think he's a championship manager? Like, he shouldn't really be uh, managing in the top flight? Yeah, I, I think I think everybody would agree with that. It's, um, it's a very well-known fact how much of a failure he is in terms of uh, managing Premier League clubs. Um, I think he has the lowest win percentage um, of all the managers uh, in terms of accumulation of games in the Premier League in the Premier League at the moment, um, and in terms of his past uh, clubs that he's managed, you know, it's 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 yeah. He, it, I don't think I have to go into more detail. Steve Bruce is not fit enough to be a manager of a club of Newcastle size. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ali, I'll ask you this question as well, because, you know, Steve Bruce has a lot of people defending him in terms of the media and, and the pundits that you see on BBC and Sky and things like that. It, it feels like a lot of people bring up the fact that he, he went to a FA Cup final with Hull as, as some sort of proof that he's a good manager. But is it just me? Or can you not get like fluke runs anyway? Like, for example, Roberto Di Matteo will never be able to not say that he didn't win the Champions League, you know, but that doesn't mean that Di Matteo is going to be the next in line for the Real Madrid job or the Barcelona job should they become available. So do you think that there's... Like every defensive Bruce that you hear in, in the media is just something lazy and sort of narrative driven rather than the actual like defense of his uh, managerial oh, for ability. For sure, um, I totally agree with that. Um, the media, um, there's something something against Newcastle United, not just from the whole coaching aspect. Like one person which I do want to mention is Rio Ferdinand because um, it's not because he's played for Manchester United or anything. <laughs> like that's got nothing to do with it. But the things he's been saying about Newcastle United. It's quite disgraceful, you know. Like, what does he know? All he knows is how to how how to like, play yeah. football. He hasn't been in a position where you know <laughs> the owners are all the fans. He's not a Newcastle fan. He's not going to understand what the fans are going through. Do you understand where I'm coming from? So I just want to quickly mention that. So yeah, I mean, so for for the listeners who don't know about this, it's because Rio Ferdinand has recently come out and said that. Um, you know, Newcastle United fans, if, if they've got such a problem with Ashley, why don't they all just pool their money together and buy the club? Which is just an absurd notion, really. We don't really need to break down, you know, the, the what's wrong with that comment. And it's not just him as well. You've got Richard Keyes, who um, said that Rafa Benitez should use his own money to buy players when Rafa was in charge as well. So you're right, there seems to be a certain sort of, you know, I, I don't like playing the victim card to say, oh, Newcastle United fans are, are treated badly and, and the media's got an agenda against Newcastle because mm. I just think, Obviously, it's not true. The the media is there to get clicks for the, for, for their stories and all that kind of thing. But there definitely seems to be a lack of understanding as to why the fans are upset, doesn't there? It's like I just, I see it more yeah. often than not. Probably yeah. more highlighted in Newcastle because I live in Newcastle. One was the Steve Bruce in his first ten games. It was all he was. He's always um, compared against Rafa Benitez. When we all know that we we would rather watch Rafa Benitez do uh, play the way he did with his team. No, absolutely. I mean, we'll talk about potential replacements for Steve Bruce later in terms of how to fix. But the first sort of, well, I, I say replacement, but I'm not really sure if there's like a sort of a, a defined pool of, of these people. But let's say that Mike Ashley tomorrow sells the club. 
we we don't know who sold it to but do you guys have like a prospective owner in mind is there someone that you think because obviously Newcastle have been under some very high profile takeover bids so we might as well since maybe we don't know who could take place of actually let's talk about the guys who were linked so for example there was the Bin Zayed group uh, of a couple of summers ago now it's, it's been that many takeovers it's hard to keep track uh, they the, the way the story broke with them is that the bid was accepted and everything was done. It wasn't even like an initial story of, oh, there's an interest from a consortium mm-hmm. and, and talks are in place and stuff like that. It was literally, I mean, the publication who released it was was The Sun, which tells you everything you need to know. But they said it was a done deal. And then there was a whole saga. And in the end, it didn't really go anywhere. And apparently, the Bin, the Bin Zayed group had uh, tried to buy Liverpool in the past and couldn't uh, bring up sufficient funds to, to make that purchase. Uh, now they're in a ongoing bid to take over Derby County, and it still hasn't been ratified by the football league. So, uh, you know these takeover bids about from the Benzayed Group and the and the Saudis, the public investment fund. Do you think these are like uh, bullets dodged for Newcastle, or do you think that it's actually in the benefit of in, of Newcastle United to you know for these owners to actually take control of the club? I mean, it's hard to say. Um, there's so much money in football now that trying to predict whether a takeover is going to be successful or not. Is really, uh, you know, it's 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 up in the air. You could have the thing is what we do know though is that you can't have a manager come in now, similar to the you know early days of billionaire owners like Abramovich, and I guess towards the later end in, in the Manchester City uh, takeover, where you're going to have an owner come in, give a blank check to the manager, and expect him I don't to you know, know. build a team with that Can money. I'm, I don't know. know. Um, uh... Apparently, they're going to score financial fair play. I read that somewhere. Um, I don't know. They might bring something else out, but I read that somewhere that they're going to stop that. Really? Yeah, that's true. There, there was a, Yeah, Ali's right. Uh, there was a, a news article that came out a couple of days ago, and it was saying that the, the regulators are thinking about, with COVID being the main impact, they're going to loosen the restrictions on FFP, financial fair play, because they're going to recognise that, you know, w- without any gate receipts for ticket sales and things like that, a lot of clubs have had a shortfall in their expected revenue, so they don't want to punish them even more by saying, well, you didn't comply to FFP rules. So, yeah, there is going to be... A, I mean, I'm not going to pretend to know the, the ins and outs of it 100%, but, yeah, there is going to be some leeway. Yeah, that makes sense to me. But also, you know, you've seen sentiments come out of the governing bodies in football that are pushing towards the Super League and protecting the, the big clubs. So, yeah, maybe financial fair play will, you know, be a bit more lax mm-hmm. in the next coming seasons due to the, you know, impact of covid but also, how much can you trust what they're saying? You know, we've seen uh, actions try- trying uh, from the governing bodies where they try to protect protect the big clubs. So, you know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. And But the point is, though, like, I don't think we will see that era of football ownership come back where, the you know, because not only is the manager um, not going to be given a blank check, even if that blank check were to exist, It'd be given to someone like a director of football or, you know, a technical director or someone higher up because that's just the way football works. Now, the manager hardly is ever in charge of the transfers. And, you know, when they are, the their job is just put under more scrutiny. Like, look at Chris Wilder at um, Sheffield United. You could argue he might still be in the job if the transfers that had happened weren't his. Or Eddie Howe at Bournemouth, where he was criticised for doing the same thing, wasting the owner's money. So I think, especially with the amount of money transfers are costing now, I don't think we'll we'll see that uh, happen. So I think, you know, if a new owner comes in, the first step maybe would be to bring in a technical director. And you look across Europe, the successful clubs, Lille, Gladbach, you know, they're getting amazing returns on investment with having the right person oversee the transfers. 
Well, I mean, you've set me up incredibly nicely there because man, the next segment was literally going to be about managing directors or a director of football. So New- Newcastle have had a storied history with them in, in, since the Ashley era because the, the first sort of guys you brought in were things like uh, Dennis Wise and there was the famous uh, fallout with Kevin Keegan where Dennis Wise told Keegan, I'm going to sign these two players. And then Keegan was said to him, you know, so what, can you show me the scouting reports? How, how did you vet these players? How do you know they're going to be good for the club? And Dennis Wise literally linked him a YouTube video and said, watch these players. They're like, he literally bought in two players because he saw them on YouTube, which is something that an 11-year-old sitting at home could do uh, with a bit of Despacito uh, remix ki- kicking in. Like, it's it was, it's baffling. So, no, it wasn't just Dennis Wise. That sort of set the tone. But you've also got Joe Kinnear, who actually brought in as manager and director of football. Absolutely hilarious when the first thing our new director of football in 2014 did was go on, on uh, I think it was a radio interview, and mispronounce half the players' names. He called Johan Kabab, Johan Kabab, Sami Amimobi, and, and stuff like that. So you can sort of sense the competency of, of the, these guys, and Derek Labayas as well, who I should mention. So let's we'll go through maybe some potential director of football um, appointments that Newcastle can make. And I feel like, based on the guys I just mentioned, even though we're not supposed to be qualified for this sort of thing, I don't think we'll do too badly. So I don't know, Ali, if you've got one that you'd like to mention for Newcastle uh, that you think might be able to sort of steady the ship and, and oversee a stable recruitment process. So there is only one person in mind. He's been a QPR for five years or six years right now. Uh, he had a two years in uh, Newcastle. He loved the fans. He adored it. I actually watched a 45 minute interview with him on Sky Sports. He's going to get interviewed about obviously his role at QPR. And his biggest regret is that he left Newcastle United. So I'm thinking bring Sir Les Ferdinand back to the tune. Uh, he's got the experience. Obviously, he's at a smaller club like QPR. He can also scout footballers in London. Um, he brought, obviously, he had Eze there as one example, you know, of a quality player coming in. And now he's now he's at Crystal Palace doing well. And, you know, there's been a lot of good young talent from London. He could possibly get those players up to the northeast of England, playing for Newcastle United, get them in the under-21s, breed them into the first team. A perfect example of that could be Ivan Tony, who's I think he's at Brentford right now. And he's, he's, he's doing well. And that's one which Newcastle let go. I'm not sure if you're aware, but Ivan Tony was already scouted. Uh, Ivan Tony was already scouted yeah, by that's the club what I'm and brought to say. in. And uh, another typical sort of example of mismanagement by the club was, yeah, that they didn't even manage to develop him. And in the end, his value is in, uh, incredible now yeah. compared to what, what it was exactly. that they let him go for. But how many times have we seen that? We've seen that happen time and time again at Newcastle. You know, United. like the structure of Newcastle, it's like a pyramid. If you don't have the good, a good base, you know, it's going to crumble. Unfortunately, you know, start start with the top, start with the managing director or technical director, and bring Les Ferdinand in there. He's passionate. He's, you know, he, he's ambitious, and you know, I think he'd like to come back to the northeast. Personally speaking, no, that's fine. I mean, the one other name I would think of as well would be uh, Ralph Rangnick, but that's probably unrealistic because I didn't think he's of one that. of those like top names in football. That's yeah, that's linked with the the elite clubs like AC Milan and. Obviously, Leipzig are maybe not elite in the sense of history, but definitely in the sense of being a Champions League team at the moment. So it, it'll be, and uh, in my opinion, uh, I feel like the German way of sort of having a, an infrastructure in football is, is really, really well done. Like, I, I feel like not only from a player's uh, development point of view, but from a management development point of view, you, I feel like there's so many success stories of German managers in recent years that weren't even necessarily amazing players. So they don't even need to have like a, a great footballing CV to get the top jobs. And uh, I would love to see Newcastle sort of be able to benefit from that model. 
and it's not just the the um, the managers that are coming out of Germany. It's it's the players as well. You know, alongside France and England, you would say the top European talents are coming out of those three hotspots. And um, you know, beyond the management, you've got the way the clubs are structured in terms of the fans' perspective, where they've got majority ownership. You know, the fifty-one forty-nine rule. So yeah, like there's a, definitely a lot you would like to uh, implement from Germany into English football. In terms of director of football, I definitely would want someone from from France, though. I feel like when you look at the wonder kids coming through, you know, nine times out of ten they're just French now. Like the depth in their national team is is you know the biggest example of that. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe Lille, Lille's um, director of football. Yeah, uh, I think Mar- <laughs> obviously that's quite unrealistic. But yeah, I think Mar- Mourinho nabbed half of Lille's staff when he went to Tottenham. Like they were very upset with uh, what happened. So they they must have a decent structure in place. But that's definitely a very key point because although you can't really um, impact what Mike Ashley is able to do because he's just the owner, uh, but if if you put like the right football person in, in charge of the executive decisions, uh, you can see the impact that they can make even under poor ownership. Obviously, the current lot decided that buying Joe Linton for forty million was worth it. So anyone who can improve on that will be welcome in my book. Uh, in terms of an improvement from a managerial point of view, obviously we've already decided Steve Bruce isn't good enough, and I think every single listener listening to this, unless you're Steve Bruce himself or his son, will probably say that he's not good enough for Newcastle United. So what about potential replacements for Steve Bruce? And I'll I'll go first, and I know that you guys are going to say that these two are incredibly unrealistic, but I'm just going to say them anyways. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann and Marcelino, Damn. who's a, a current manager of Athletic Bilbao. Damn. Yeah, very, very unrealistic. But I, let's be honest, when Rafa came in under Ashley, that was unrealistic as well. So I'm, I'm sort of using the Rafa appointment as much as that definitely is an anomaly. That, that's where I'm setting my, my standards. I really don't want like, you know, your uh, sort of Mark Hughes follow-ups or uh, bloody hell. Like even, even Eddie Howe doesn't fill me with confidence. I know that maybe Eddie Howe was probably one of uh, one of the names on one of your guys' lists. He's he's good enough. He's definitely good enough. But there's something about his defensive coaching that I don't like. You know, Bournemouth were shipping goals for fun. And maybe part of that was because they never really had an incredible defence. You know, they had like Charlie Daniels and Steve Cook and wh- whatever else names there were. So maybe I am doing him a bit, a bit of a disservice. Maybe he does have it in him if, if you give him the right players. But yeah, for, for me, Nagelsmann or Mossadino would be transformative. They're managers with forward-thinking ideas. Their teams play really nice football, very competent football. And uh, they're obviously regulars in Europe as well. So do you not think the way... That'll be for my choices. Do you not think the way that Rafa Benitez was treated, even though he was such a... Uh, a top tier manager and without he didn't even get any backing um from Mike Ashley and someone like Steve Bruce comes in gets 40 million pound for Joe Linton and you you think you know if I was a manager thinking you know what these guys must be absolutely deluded they didn't back a manager like Rafa Benitez but yet given St- Steve Bruce the amount of time he has had uh, and the money he's put behind him I, well, I, I, just... I couldn't I couldn't even I, I couldn't never envisage any manager of any of that standard to, to even contemplate coming to Newcastle? Well, I, I do want to answer your question there because it, it wasn't that Rafa wasn't backed in terms of uh, transfers because Ashley was still prepared to buy Joe Linton even with Rafa in mind. They had that transfer ready in February of the season that uh, Rafa eventually left in. Uh, and a- again, that tells me that Steve Bruce didn't really have much of a say in it as well. It was already decided by the scouting network and, and the recruitment staff that they were going to get Joe Linton. And so they were prepared to buy players for Rafa. That that wasn't the issue. The issue was Rafa wanted more in terms of a long-term ambition. Like he wanted, 
uh, investment in the academy and the uh, training facilities because Newcastle United are lagging behind massively compared to not not just Premier League clubs, but even some championship clubs are more forward thinking and uh, are, are investing heavily in, in training facilities and academies. Brentford's an example of a unique model where they've scrapped their academy in favour of a B team and using some sort of analytics and scouting, they're recruiting for that B team. And obviously, you've got the like of Ollie, Ollie Watkins, who's now in England International, benefiting from that sort of recruitment process. So, yeah, it's uh, the Rafa thing. He absolutely wasn't backed, but it was more about not he wasn't backed of his vision of wanting Newcastle to compete rather than just like buy a player or buy this player. Do you know what I mean? But back to sort of managerial choices for Newcastle uh, instead of Steve Bruce Ali. Did you, did you have any lined up? Yeah, I have three in mind. Um, ideally, I'd like to see Jesse March at Newcastle United. Um, he's recently linked to the Celtic job. He came out and said he'd be honoured on to go to Celtic Football Club. And, you know, if he's willing to go to to champions of Scotland, well, former champions, Rangers champions, I totally forgot about that. Um, why would he want to come to Newcastle United? That's one thing I can see. He's young, he's enthusiastic, and he'll, I think he'll do well in Newcastle if he's given the right tools. And he's also got Haaland's phone number, so that might come in handy if he yeah, comes to Newcastle, um, you never know. Uh, you never know. You know, if if we get some billion, if Newcastle gets some billionaire owners, uh, you never know how Haaland transfer can happen. We can always dare a dream. But obviously Tottenham fans can't, so you know. Um, add two, add two other options. Uh, the other two were Eddie Howe. Um, you did mention that obviously he hasn't been the best defensively, but if you bring in a good defensive coach, I think that could obviously solve those problems. In from when I was young, I'm not going to claim I'm a Newcastle fan, but I was born in the city. I was raised in the city. My dad is a Newcastle United fan, and. He's, he used to mention me players like Les Ferdinand, David Ginola, Keith Gillespie, you had Peter Beardsley, Shearer, and you're going a bit further along with Bellamy. You know, I can go forever. But I'm just saying, like, Newcastle were a top club in the late 90s and early 2000s. It's just what Spurs are now, let's be honest. And I kind of want to see Newcastle then. Eddie Howe might have the forward thinking of bringing Newcastle there. You never know. And the third option, I don't think it'll happen because his heart's always at one place in the Premier League is Steven Gerrard. But I think he's just going to wait for that Liverpool job. I mean, uh, just very quickly on Gerrard, uh, you're right. He's obviously a long-term hoping to be Liverpool manager. But I think if the right circumstances sort of led him to get a Newcastle job or, or any other Premier League job, really, just to make it about Gerrard for a moment. Uh, yeah, I don't think he's going to turn it down, especially if uh, Klopp is still going, you know. I mean, I know that Klopp's made noise about Leaving at the end of is it twenty twenty four? Yeah. So there's uh, still there's still another three years where Gerard can sort of uh, build a portfolio in terms of uh, Premier League experience. Obviously, the other side of that coin is what if he takes a job like Newcastle or, or like a West Brom or something, does really badly, and then that's, that, it. that's it. It sort you of kills know, his dream of, of being exactly. the Liverpool manager. So it yeah. So just to focus it on on Newcastle again, yeah, I, I think I definitely see that there's an upside to Eddie Howe. I wasn't saying that he was just a total dud. Those are definitely good choices. I mean, I don't know, Kodama, about your sort of impressions of who you, who you would like to be Newcastle United manager. Yeah, I mean, those are good options. I think Jesse Marsh would be very interesting. I'd love to see him in the Prem. You know, what he's doing at Salzburg is, is pretty cool. Like, I know a lot of the German, uh, you know, football fans really hate that, you know, the Red Bull system. But, you know, when you look at the football side of things, you can't deny they're doing really good things. To be honest, for me, my number one choice, you know, if we're assuming a takeover has gone through, I would actually just want Rafa back. You know, like, it's not the most realistic option, but 
But the thing is, right, Rafa won't bring you the most exciting brand of football. You know, we know what his football is going to be like. It's pragmatic, you know, it's counter-attacking, but it's effective. But at the same time, the reason I would want Rafa back most is because he's already proven that he understands the club, where the club, you know, should be. Uh, he's on the same wavelength as the fan. He, he was in the club, you know, he engaged in the community. And that to me, like, as much as I'd love to see Newcastle win titles, I'd rather just see them be a, a team that the city can be proud of. I don't think the ultimate um, purpose of a club is, you know, is just silverware. To me, like a, a club that represents the city and you feel a connection to that club, that's that's just as, if not more important, than winning games like week in, week out. Ra- obviously, yeah, Rafa's got a defensive style, but it's it's going to be very hypocritical of me saying, oh yeah, trophies don't matter. When, when I'm a Liverpool fan and I was born in the city of Newcastle, I can be a glory hunter and whatnot. And it could be the same for Dowd, but at the end of the day, um, football, you know, football is meant to make, like, bring happiness. You know, I want to watch some attacking football. Personally, that's why I love Liverpool so much. Yeah, but Rafa brings that. Yeah, I'm going to back uh, Kodama's line of thinking because, you know, when, for example, with Rafa, there's this perception of him that he's defensive to the point where you think he's on a level with Pulis in terms of his uh, uh, coaching mentality. No, he's that bad. Yeah, no, no, but the, the, I'll, I'm getting to uh, what I was going to say, sorry. In, in terms of, like, for example, he's had really high periods with Newcastle in, in an attacking sense. When when they brought in Almiron, by the end of, from Almiron's debut to the end of the season, we were sixth in goals scored in, in the form table. And obviously the defence uh, sorted itself out, you know, with Rafa, you don't even need to ask that question. So he, he showed that, like, there was a lot of energetic pressing, a lot of really swift counter-attacks with Rondon, Ayose and Miggy. And uh, look back to his Liverpool side. I remember when they rocked up at Old Trafford and smashed Man United 4-1. If you're a, de- <laughs> if you, if you're a, yeah, if you're a defence first manager, you, you don't do that. And uh, you obviously had Gerard and Torres at his peak playing some lovely, lovely football. So sometimes I think if, if you give certain managers like, okay, let's talk about Mourinho. Mourinho's got Kane, Son and Bale. And yet he's sort of, playing a very defensive mentality. So I think if you want to label Mourinho defensive, I think that's a fair statement. He's just not a high-octane high football manager. Wasn't Conte quite defensive as well? See, he's he's not like purely defensive though because his Chelsea side, when when he sort of incorporated the, the wing-backs in, in the five-at-the-back formation, they, they were incredible. He was getting a tune out with Victor Moses as if he was Cafu, man. So there is, there's, I think there's two sides to when people analyse a manager. It, it's... If do you see the manager playing defensively because he hasn't got the players, or do you see him playing defensively because that's his preferred approach? Do you know what I mean? I see it as a, as just um, like the manager, uh, you know, getting his imprint on the team, starting from the basics. If the if the defense isn't there, and this is what Mourinho every time he goes to a new club always says, the defense needs to be there in the first place yeah yeah i agree and uh, that's what you, that's what you get from rafa but you know the reason i mentioned him is, is mainly for the you know things outside of football but if i was to go someone else um i don't know what you guys would think about this one but i would actually love to see um say we stay in the premier league at the expense of brighton i would have graham potter i would, I would nab him from brighton i think with a better squad he can really like he's shown that he knows how to coach a team and organize attacks yeah, the defense isn't the most solid. That's true, and to be fair, like you know, it's become a bit, a bit of a meme this season with, with the expected points uh, where Brighton should be compared to where they are. I think with a bit more backing and a better squad, which I do believe that Newcastle does have a better squad than Brighton on paper, I think he would be a really good, an int- like definitely at least an interesting uh, appointment. I feel like whoever thinks that um, a manager can come in and get the team playing. 
um, amazing attacking football. You know, you see it time and time again. A majority of managers, when they do come in, they have a very positive effect. The team starts to play more. There's more vigour in the players. There's more um, attention to detail. One might be the players thinking, oh, actually, I need to impress the new manager uh, if I still want to be in the team and I want to prolong my career. Um, The the second thing is is obviously the manager trying to imprint, you know, having all that motivation at the beginning. I, I find it very hard to believe that any manager that can perform like some of the managers can do is hop from teams and actually get them to perform, get them to do very well and then um maintain that it's it's very unrealistic i think the way that these long-term stability managers like rafa benitez like Mourinho, are approaching it is actually the most sustainable way no you're right i mean to be honest there's actually not that much pressure on on the guy who will succeed steve bruce you know because the we're, we're talking about which manager can get a tune out of your attack in your defense but steve bruce gets no tune out of either so all you have to do is be an improvement to the point where Newcastle are having two shots on target per game and, and you're better than Steve Bruce already. Or like reducing the opposition to three shots on target per game. Yeah, this is why I don't understand why Kurama was saying Rafa Benitez uh, doesn't play great football. I mean, anything at the moment is better than Steve Bruce, in my opinion. No, no. I prefaced it by saying if the takeover goes through, it would make you think that... Because what everybody is led to believe, or, you know... what? I, let's put it this way. Everyone thinks that every fan wants their team to be prime Barcelona. I'm saying if you get a takeover, I don't re- necessarily want the new manager to come in and do that. I'd, I'd, I'd rather have someone come in who, yes, might not be playing as attractive footballers, you know, Pep Guardiola with unlimited money, but someone who understands the club first, who, you know, has a rapport with the fans and engages in the community and makes the club something the city can be proud of. That, that's why I said, like, despite Rafa's defensive, uh, you know, reputation. That's no, no, you're right. There's there's massive value in that, especially for a fan base like Newcastle's, which, uh, you know, under Kevin Keegan and Sobby Robson, who you could absolutely say got the club, you know, we had the most fruitful years. Like, I wouldn't say that so Bobby Robson or Kevin Keegan have ever, ever been the number one manager in the world. But that didn't stop them from being a success story at Newcastle. Part of it was, of course, the brand of football that they played and the type of players that they had. But another part of it as well was how much they cared about the success of the club. And Rafa, who's someone from Spain, he's not local to the area at all, absolutely gets that. He's, he's one of those managers where you have to respect not only his footballing achievements, but the dignity and, and the grace that he carries himself with. Because, you know, someone like, uh, look at him right now, Steve Bruce. He's been, yes, he gets a lot of criticism, I, I agree. And, and a lot of it is personal. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say that Newcastle fans just criticise the guy's football. But by the same token, his his response to that is not to carry himself with any dignity or grace. He'll start having a go at the fans in, in the press conferences, calling them keyboard warriors. He'll accuse them of mass hysteria when they react to getting knocked out by Brentford's B team in Sheffield United away who hadn't won. So there's there's definitely a lot to a manager, more than just the style of play, isn't there? The, the whole package, and, and Rafa's got so many plus points on that, and I definitely understand why he's Kodema's nomination. Mm. Yeah, I get that. Um, I just wanted to mention the difference between Rafa and Steve Bruce, why people obviously love Rafa. Um, Obviously, Rafa Benitez went, obviously, won stuff with Valencia and La Liga, went to Liverpool, a a similar club in Newcastle, you know, the the fans are passionate, you know, as an anthem there. You know, I see both clubs being very similar in that aspect. And he loved that city. And obviously, anything that happened, that's it. He'd help as much as he can, and obviously, he brought it along with um, long to Newcastle United. However, Steve Bruce goes from like Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday, like Birmingham to Aston Villa. 
Sunderland to freaking Newcastle. You you tell me as Newcastle fans, how do you feel about that? Oh, th- th- that's why I dislike the appointment from from the very beginning. To be honest, there's a difference in class. Like Rafa's the the kind of uh, partner you'd bring home to your parents, whereas Steve Bruce is the one you regret for the rest of your life. Like that, that's the <laughs> way I see it. It goes back to a lot of what we were talking about at the beginning of the recording when we said about. Um, uh, the, the media narrative one of the media narratives about Steve Bruce is he's a local lad he gets the club and that to, I mean I'd, I try not to pay too much attention to punditry because it's it's really there just to get Newcastle fans raging which is fine I understand but like being local to the club means nothing man especially when you look at the two most recent examples John Carver and Steve Bruce two of the worst managers I've had the displeasure of suffering through and uh, you know g- give me managers like uh, Rafa Benitez or even uh, a Londoner like Pardew, like Pardew was far from, far from a manager that I respected at Newcastle in terms of his coaching ability. Like he, he wasn't necessarily a bad guy, but uh, you know Pardew out days were very, very toxic. But like the way that Pardew sort of handled himself in the media was was better than Steve Roos, apart from the wow, excuses 100%. he used to make for, for defeats. So it's oh, it's one of those things. Players. Oh yeah, no the t- touchline I mean, behavior. To be fair, to be fair, yeah. I, I I thought that head headbutt wasn't as bad as what people made out to be. But Come I mean, on. it's their own. You can't be serious. I mean, I said I. If you look at the video, is is it um David Meyer? No, nah, come Meyer, on, man. It's, it's... He, he edges his his head uh, forehead forward first, which makes anybody, even myself. If I see it in the mirror, I, if I edge my head forward, I'm already trying to headbutt myself. I, it, it's a natural reaction. You, it, it, <laughs> consult your nearest doctor, man. That is not normal behavior, man. Like at the end of the day, he's a professional manager. He represents the club. Nah, nah. If you can see two, like two deers, two rhinos tussle. The first thing they do is uh, one one um, bows their head down. The other one straight in there, man. It's just. It's yeah, just this natural. is not. An, it's not a David Attenborough documentary, man. It's a Premier League. You need to have some professional. You have to need to have some professionalism about you. You're a manager. You're like the face of the club on the touchline. Nah, I don't care. To look at, I don't care look, if it's unprovoked, man. I don't care if it's unprovoked. Uh, sorry, if it is provoked, you need to have restraint as a manager. You need to have restraint. You know, it tarnishes the club. You know, you become a laughing. But then, all of a sudden, I want David Attenborough to start commentating on football matches. Can you imagine? Here comes the striker advancing forward, wearing his predators. Oh, it's class. <laughs> oh, wow. That's class. <laughs> it would be absolutely brilliant. Um, so I, I do want to sort of, we'll, we'll get into the final segment of, of the How to Fix series because obviously we've talked about managers, we've talked about infrastructure, we've talked about owners. One thing we haven't really talked about yet, though, is, is your playing squad. So at the moment, Khudema mentioned earlier, Newcastle squad, maybe man for man, you could say is better than Brighton's. It certainly isn't the worst squad we've ever had or the wor- or definitely not the, like the 18th. Uh, worst team in the Premier League I would say at the moment but of course you can always rep- improve on a team like Newcastle United so I've, I've got some nominations of we me and Ali when we were sort of talking about formulating the, this this uh, series we said let's give them a 50 million budget and you know you can work with that and, and see what sort of you come up with so I'll, I'll run through Ali's choices first I mean Ali can you tell us uh, about which players you think would be good for Newcastle United Right, I've got a couple of freebies in here because, you know, um, we've got Mike Ashley as the owner at the time being and he's a bit of a cheapskate and a bit of a mug. So if if I was Mike Ashley, I'd f- and if you get rid of Carroll, maybe, bring in Daniel Sturridge. Um, shirt sales, he's played at the highest level. He's won trophies and he's got a good goal ratio. Yeah, um, yeah he's injured. You mean pro- he has played? He has played at the highest level? He has retired. Level. I know, but he has. He's not currently playing the highest level. Let's the be, thing let's about Sturridge, 
is if you bring him in, you're going to also need to bring in the world's best physios <laughs> because he's never going to stay fit. You never the guy's, know. He's taking time off. The guy's he's, just he's uh, like a year off. He's had a child, and you know. Um, how old is he? How old is he now? I think he uh, might be thirty. He must be getting on. He must be thirty or something. Yeah. He's better than Joe Linton. He's better than Arnie Carroll. So what you want me to say? And that's him when he's injured. I think you're looking at Sturridge through very Liverpool tinted glasses, very heavily tinted Liverpool glasses. I feel like stay, like don't get me wrong, Daniel Sturridge on his day was was a brilliant player, but he is finished. He's absolutely done at the top level. The guy does not have the physical, uh, you know, endurance. You know, his his injury record speaks for itself. Okay, uh, never mind. Um, I've got Abdullah Sima from Slavia Prague. Um, 11 goals, 17 games, right? He's £7.2 million. He plays on the right wing. I think he could connect up well with, uh, say, Maximan. And he turned Rangers almost from Protestant to Catholic. He's, he was that good against Rangers. So, you know, seven, eight million quid, that's an all right signing. Um, another one is Brandon Williams. Brandon Williams from Manchester United. Absolutely not. Absolutely. That guy is terrible. That guy is absolutely average. He's terrible. He's great. I think he's good for a young player. I think he's... Yeah, really? I think he's a good... I'm not... Jeff, Jeff, I, I know I've got bias for United, but that guy is class. I'm not going to lie. He seems like a very hot-headed, uh, rash player that doesn't have much technical ability. And Are you joking me? What has he done? He's not. He's nothing impressive to me. He's a very underwhelming un- 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 prospect for England. What's, like, he, what's he like then? What's he like... Uh, He's he's basically like a speedy Gonzalez. He 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 works hard. He's a workhorse. Don't get me wrong. He's not the most technically gifted, but he's definitely he's definitely a technical enough to be the Man United uh, team to uh, you know to pass around and uh, be you know content on the ball. He, a team that, I mean, he's a team that's not any... contending any titles that are worth mentioning this season. Why would I want? Why would I want their Deadwood? I'll take some of Liverpool's Deadwood, maybe some of Manchester City's Deadwood. I don't want the Manchester United's Deadwood. There's a, another side of it, which is the fact that we've we've already paid 13 million for a left back in Jamal Lewis, and I would rather develop him. Like he he was linked with Liverpool in the summer, so I mean I'm not claiming he's Liverpool standard, but if if you pay already for him and he's an exciting young, young talent, I would rather see how we get on with him, and I would not want uh, Brandon Williams anywhere near the club. Also, but Brandon Williams in his career will never will never even be half the player that Paul Dummett is. So. We'll have to move on from I that got, suggestion. Please. I got two more, and they're actually from Liverpool. Right, Marco Gruich, he's playing for FC Portal right now. He's on loan. He's got Champions League experience. Right, Serbian national. He's play, he played for Hertha Berlin. He did bits for Cardiff in the Championship. Cardiff wanted to take one opponent. Liverpool said, Son Hughes, we're going to keep him. Uh, you can get him for around 12 or 15 million pounds according to the transfer market. And the last one is Nathaniel Phillips because he'll get him on a free transfer. I'm working on a Mike Ashley budget here, so that's all I'm saying. Well, we set a fifty million, we set a fifty million budget for this hypothetical, and you've come up with very uh, cheap uh, options, which is fine. It's definitely the Ashley way. But right, do you think they're bad signings? Well, Gruyich, I, I, I don't think he's awful. He's, he's certainly a, a useful enough player. I mean, if, if you're playing in the Champions League with Porto, you're not going to be terrible. So he's he's definitely an interesting one. I'll probably say I need to watch him more. I can't really sort of judge him straight off the bat. In terms of Nat Phillips, though, uh, no, you could forget about that one. We've we've already got decent centre backs. Uh, I would I would trust all of them. I think he could get the Newcastle team first of all. Secondly, he'll actually put his life on the line for Newcastle. I think what Newcastle are missing is some some passion in the back. 
That's why I wanted to bring in Brandon Williams and Nat Phillips or Nathaniel Phillips, how you want to call him. Watching our centre backs in the last couple of years, you know, Fleury and Lejeune, Lascelles, Fernandez, Domit, uh, Clark and Cher, all of them, all of them do the dirty work. All of them are passionate at the back. So all of them are much more experienced, much more talented than Nat Phillips. So I think uh, I would probably pass on him, to be honest, if I was offered him uh, by any scout. I think out of all the names you mentioned, the only one I would consider taking would be Gurich, and that would be after a bit more extensive scouting on well, him. What about see. Abdulassima from Slavia Prague? Actually, yeah, sorry, I forgot about that one. That one's definitely probably your, your most interesting one. I, I would take him. Why not? I mean, he's obviously... Slavia Prague are one of those clubs at the moment who, obviously until the uh, the Rangers fiasco, they, they, were a bit, they were becoming a little bit of a hipster club, weren't they? Because you've got success stories of Kufal and Suchek at West Ham that came from the club. And uh, they're still going strong in Europe. They've they've been going strong in Europe for about two or three years now. And uh, yeah, so Seema, I'm going to trust that he'll definitely be a positive addition. And I'm guessing that clubs with even loftier aspirations than Newcastle are looking at him at the moment as well. So yeah, he's he's a name I would go for. I mean, I've only picked out three and I'd be interested to get your takes on all three. So we're working with a 50, uh, 50 million budget. So the first one, and I, I don't know how much you guys know about this player. He's a striker at the moment. And unfortunately, he's just done his ACL. So... Might be a while before we hear about him again. Uh, Silas Wamangituka, who plays for Stuttgart. Do you, have you guys heard the name? I've heard of him. I've watched him much play. Well, he's a 20-year-old Congolese striker and he's got uh, 11 goals already this season in the league. Um, obviously, his, his season is over now, but that, that's more than Wilson. He's taken less penalties than Wilson. And I was having a look at their numbers. So a lot of the recommendations are going to make up pretty much uh, sort of our... Uh, based on statistics and metrics that I've been having a look at, there's a, a really useful website called FBREF, which is short for Football Reference. You can put up two players against each other, compare all of their advanced stats and things like that. So obviously, it always helps if you know the player by having watched them week in, week out, if, if if they're in the league that you follow closely. But when I was sort of looking at options, I always, I think it's the FM player in using it. You always want to go abroad and, and sort of uh, see who's who's looking good in other leagues. So he's, he's one of the top scorers uh, in, in the Bundesliga. Obviously, Stuttgart are having a great season under uh, Pellegrino Matarazzo, the uh, manager who took over, I think, a couple of years ago. And uh, he's quick, strong. He's got really good creative numbers as well. So he's not just one of those guys who he'll be a goal scorer and, and that's it. So he's he's got a quite a nice, well-rounded game. And at 20 years old, already with 11 league goals in a top five league, you know, the, the potential is endless. Hopefully this injury doesn't set him back too much, but that's the uh, recommendation for a striker. I mean... I know I can't sort of bounce off and say to you guys, what do you think of him since you guys haven't really heard of him? But based on that description, would you go for that? I mean, it's an interesting prospect. Um, I think if I was, you know, I don't think a striker is the most needed position, you know, if we have Callum Wilson. But, you know, depth is definitely something we might need. I mean, Andy Carroll and Dwight Gale aren't exactly uh, <laughs> uh, young, young, young strikers. So, yeah, sounds like an interesting one. For yeah, sure. I mean... With Newcastle and strikers, it literally is only Wilson that you can rely on at the moment, so we definitely need a second. Uh, the other one, you, you guys will all know this player, and there's probably a slight hint of uh, unrealistic to it again, but I can't help myself. I earmarked him as a £25 million signing, and that is Calvin Phillips from Leeds United. Like one of It's funny though, just before you go, uh, describe your reasoning. I would have, like, I was looking at Leeds as well, like, throughout the season, and for me, the most person that's impressed is Jack Harrison, so I'd be interested to see why you take Calvin Phillips over him. Well, Jack Harrison's more of a wide player, isn't he? I was I was thinking about bolster, uh, bolstering the centre midfield because you've got Hayden now who's got a long-term injury and there's always been question marks over Shelby. You know, a lot of people don't like his game. I'm, I'm personally a fan of Shelby in terms of his football ability. The the person maybe is not so much. He's done a, a couple of sketchy things and 
he's been a bit of a liability on the pitch in terms of his red cards in the past. But well, he is vulnerable. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as a, uh, that's true. As a footballer, he's fine though. He really is. And but I, I've I looked at their numbers again, and yes, with with Phillips, you're likely to lose a little bit of the attacking threat that Shelby provides. However, everything else about Phillips's game is better. His 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 pressing, his passing, his link up, all of that. He's he's got much nicer numbers than um, John Joe Shelby. And I feel like if you put him at the at the base of the formation, he could really dictate the play from from that sort of position. Do you not think he thrives under Bielsa though? That's the reason why I would say even Jack Harrison, he's probably more than an average Championship player. But the way that Bielsa has got him got them working, even Patrick Bamford, he's a failure in the in the Premier League prior to, prior to this season and and the previous seasons under him. Um, they're only working because of Bielsa. Uh, I mean. That's a fair point. I'd love, yeah. I'd love for these players to come to Newcastle and perform as they as they would do. But imagine going from Bielsa's um, strict ways of training, strict ways of eating, strict ways of just discipline about how they would interact with fans, and then coming to see Bruce and uh, having a bit of a, a rowdy affair in the training session on a Sunday. The cave- the caveat to all of this is that we've already fixed the Steve Bruce problem by having one of the managers that we previously discussed. So I'd like to think that these players are being brought in, yeah, with a proper manager uh, able to utilize them. But you make a fair point, Doubt. I agree. Like, if, if to be honest, if I recommended Messi, Neymar, and Ronaldo and brought them in, and Steve Bruce was still the manager, I still don't think we'd prosper. We might finish like fourteenth or fifteenth, <laughs> and maybe a couple. So, yeah, me neither. Yeah. So there, there's there's also that to, to bear in mind. I mean, the, the last choice I had was for the cent- uh, central um, defense. Now, our centre-backs in, in recent years have been the one position I'm, I'm so comfortable with. But unfortunately, time goes on, Rafa goes on, and now it's a position where we're, we're very leaky in at the moment. I, d- I don't know how much you guys have watched of him, but I really, really like the look of Tosin Adarabayo from Fulham. So I'm just thinking about if they get relegated, I would love to pick him up from them. Yeah, I was looking at, um, you know, prior to the podcast, uh, you know, which players I would sign up. I feel like out of the defenders, I was... It's torn between him or James Justin from uh, Leicester City. I think those two are, are two of the best uh, prospects now in in, uh, in the Premier League. He's, he's, I don't think like, uh, Justin's a prospect anymore, though. He's he's, he's fully no, but he he's like a, a regular Premier League player. Let's be honest now. Fair enough, but but yeah, I mean, like back to what uh, Jaff was saying. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Adarabayo's is up there. Like I'm very I'm very impressed from what I've seen from him this season. No, absolutely. So it's um, you know a, a sort of a potential signing for for Newcastle. So it, I mean, at the end of the day, if we're talking about how to fix the general theme, and I think you guys will all agree on this one, the main the main how to fix of Newcastle is Mike Ashley has to go, right? Like there's no two ways about it. And the second, oh, yeah, the, the, the second one is go. Bruce. Yeah, it has to be Ashley and Bruce. They're the two names that you have to absolutely get rid of before you can even start to look forward. So thanks, lads. I mean, that was a really fun, uh, refreshing, uh, different sort of aspect of our podcast. And don't worry, I mean, it's it's not going to just always be about Newcastle. There's plenty of clubs with plenty of problems that we'll we'll take a look at, and especially with the international break coming up, might even be next week's episode. But we'll we'll wait and see. Um, thanks always, uh, as always, for joining us, lads. And doubt if you'd like to wrap us up with the promotions, please. Yeah, thank you guys for this week again. And our YouTube channel is the Dressing Room. Our Facebook group is the Dressing Room as well. Um, follow us on Facebook to find out things when we release it the fir- uh, straight away um, and in terms of where you can f- uh, listen to us on other platforms we, we're on all major um, podcasting uh, platforms Spotify, Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts, 
you know, uh, etc. So yeah, thanks guys. Brilliant lads. We'll see you guys next time. Take care.